0: and and that's really i kept thinking of that this past week that there was just so much and um my handwriting actually got better towards the end of the week i don't i've never had the best of handwriting and um and it's gotten even worse since i don't write that much anymore i've gone just all typing digital or dictation and um so just taking so many notes i mean it's just you know I thought towards the end of the week. I said, "Man, I'm, I'm actually can read some of these that I've that I've written here." Um, I think the other aspect of it for me and for Pam, and just understand where I'm coming from on this. All right, you you experience. You remember when the Queen of Sheba came, and because she had heard of of all that was going on with Solomon and the wisdom of Solomon. And she didn't really believe it. She had to come and see for herself. And when she left, she said, the half has not been told. And so it's, it's not just the things that we hear or we heard, but it's also the things that, that we've seen that imprint us, that challenge us, that, that inspire us and motivate us. Um, <clears throat> like, like folks showing up two hours early for a 930 service. Yeah, we, We would get there about 8.15 for a service that started. Now keep in mind, it's reserved seating. I mean, it's not like first come, first serve. Everybody there has a seat. We get there at 8.15, you know, thinking we were like super early and the building would almost be full. And probably 75 volunteers in the parking lot before 7.30 on a nine-degree morning in Texas parking everybody. It's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So um, I'm thankful for just the opportunity to to be a part of this family of faith and to recognize that we're all a part of something much bigger. The body of Christ is, there's one body, there's one head, there's one body, there's one kingdom. And um, sometimes you may feel like you're in the minority. You may feel like, you know, that there's just not that many people who know the Lord around you or serving the Lord around you and your family or on your job or at school, but trust me, um, there are lots and lots and lots of people um, a part of this kingdom that we're a part of, so amen, <clears throat> amen, amen. Um, let's go to Philippians chapter 3 tonight, Philippians chapter 3, and um, I want to jump in on some things here. One of the the things that we've seen in the body of Christ over the last, I'm going to say 10, 15 years is the concept of a growth track. The concept of a growth track. Now, this may have originated elsewhere, but the first person that I ever heard talk about a growth track within a local church was a pastor named Rick Warren. Some of you may be familiar with Rick Warren. He wrote a book that is actually the the number one best selling book of all time. It's called The Purpose Driven Life. Before Pastor Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life, he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. And um, I read that book uh, many, many years ago. And one of the things that he talked about in church leadership is that you want to help people identify where they are in their growth and in their development, and then constantly being encouraging them and and you know trying to lead them to the next step, if you will. And he actually has what he does in his church laid out like a baseball diamond and um, and so the idea is that. Now, this is I'm not proposing this around here, and and I'm not trying to make light or little of. I mean, what what works or what God has for one place might not be necessarily what he has for another one. But in in his church, first base, for instance, is membership. So anyone who's not a member, um, he wants to provide opportunities and encouragement for them to become a member of the church. Once those men and women become members... Um, he then wants to try to move them to second base, and, um, and what he calls second base is maturity. So if people only come on Sunday morning, then he wants to try to get them in a Sunday school class. If people come to Sunday school and they come on Sunday morning, then he wants to try to get them there on Sunday night. If they come to Sunday school Sunday morning and Sunday night, then he wants to try to get them there on Wednesday night. right? In other words, where they're increasing. You follow what I'm saying? According to Pastor Warren, third base is ministry. So you go to membership, then maturity, and from maturity to ministry. So if people are maturing but they're not yet involved in the ministry, you try to provide opportunity, encourage them, and move them along the growth track. you follow what I'm saying? And then, of course, what he considers to be a home run or or the final trip to to home plate um, is mission. When a person understands their, their destiny and a purpose and their mission. Um, I like that. Don't misunderstand me. I like that. I know that other churches in town have adopted different models and growth track. And the idea is to try and help people see what's next so that they can push for that. Matt Cameron, who spoke at the conference, he didn't speak on this subject, but he has a book on leadership and, and church growth and, and individual growth. And he often talks about pressing for the mark for the prize. And the idea behind the mark for the prize is that it's an intermediate goal. So if you have a large goal that seems overwhelming, you break that goal down into steps and stages, and then you go at it one step, one stage at a time, progressing along the way. Pressing for the mark. In other words, the mark being what's next for you. And um, so, for instance, you know, some other things that you may want to consider. If you've never been born again, obviously let's let's get that taken care of tonight. If you've never been baptized in water, then you should consider that very soon. That's this next step. What's the next step for you? What's the next mark? If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then I would certainly encourage you to begin to seek the Lord about that. Begin to study the Scriptures about that. Begin to pursue that. Figuring out what's next for you. If you've never shared the gospel or your faith in Jesus with another person, then that should be what's next. You understand what I'm saying? Trying to identify what that is. Because we all have a tendency to get to a certain level in our growth and development and stall out there and not go any further. Thank you for those amens. But it's true. So this attitude that we're continuing to go after... Uh, you know, growth and development and, and fruitfulness and, and uh, understanding, maturity, wisdom, all of these things that Father has established for us. Now, for me, and I'm not trying to establish some formal growth track here at, um, at Heritage, but informally, we have always tried to take people who know about God... And introduce them to him in a greater way and obviously for someone to be born again then once a person has been born again teaching them the principles that God has established in his word that would improve your life so again, if there's a growth track, it begins, I think, with, with knowing about the Lord, meeting Him, learning more about Him and His ways. But I think a better way, or at least a different way, let's say it like that, to look at what is considered to be the home run is more than just a person fulfilling their assignment. To me, the most important thing is what the Apostle Paul said he sought after with everything that he had in him, and that was to know the Lord, to know him. Are you hearing me this morning, this evening rather? To know him. And I know that on the surface that may sound like really simple, really, you know, Oh, I met the Lord 20 years ago, Pastor Mark. No, no, you were, you were born again maybe 20 years ago. But, but when we talk about knowing him, we're talking about a, a, a personal, intimate, close union and fellowship with him. One of the many things that I've learned over the years is this. A true friend is a rare and precious gift. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? True friend is a, is a rare and precious gift. And, you know, when I, when I look in the congregation tonight, I, I see people who, they may even be husband and wife, but they're still one another's best friend. People that um, are close with one another. They're comfortable in one another's company. They enjoy spending time with one another. They enjoy fellowshipping with one another. They enjoy having a meal together. And that, you know, again, hopefully that is your spouse. <laughs> Obviously a spouse, is, a spouse relationship is more than a friendship, but man, I know that's where Pam and, and my relationship began as a friendship and it, it has only strengthened now 30 some odd years later. I'm trying to communicate something tonight that I'm, I'm not really sure that I have words to communicate but I'm just trusting number one in the Holy Spirit but number two in your own life experience that you understand what I mean when you find someone that loves you and someone that you love and that that may be a romantic kind of love or relationship or it may just be a very close friendship a very dear friendship someone that you connect with in some way someone that understands you someone that you understand this year at the conference um, Pam and I were really intentional about um, fellowshipping with and, and, and doing our best to get to know some other ministers from different parts of the United States. We met some even from other countries. Last year, and I don't, I, I don't mind telling you this, we had no idea that Pastor Chris and Danielle were going to be at the conference last year. We actually, quote-unquote, ran into them in line, you know, 1,700-plus people there. And, um, and so last year was just a great year of, of healing and fellowship for uh, Pam and I to spend some time with Chris and Danielle and and um, they were not able to make it this year and so we just purposed that we were going to try to get to know some other folks and and um, you know the, the first day at lunch we sat with some folks from um, Arkansas that have a recovery ministry and that was I think God ordained. Um, the second day at lunch um, We would walk over to lunch, and other people would ride the shuttle. It was so cold. Um, But the first day, when we walked up, there was this couple that got off the shuttle right beside us. And um, so we greeted them, hello, but we didn't wind up eating with them. The next day, we walked up. They got off the shuttle right next to us, and they're like, it's y'all again. And I'm like, you know, I was born at night, but not last night. This is, you know, some important thing here. So I just struck up a conversation with them. We wound up having lunch with them that day. Um, He is involved in a community outreach ministry in California, and um, so we were able to, to share some things. But I'm saying all that to say, there was a couple that sat behind us, and, and of course, I'm not the smallest man God ever created, and so if you sit behind me, I'm, I apologize in advance, you're not gonna be able to see over me. And um, it's a pastor and his wife from Mississippi. And they were just, they were just two of those people, that our hearts are almost immediately bonded with. And um, uh, now the point I'm trying to make is, you know, we only maybe had all together, man, I don't know, an hour to, to actually spend because again, we're in service and, you know, but in the breaks, you know, turn around, shake somebody's hand, shake three people's hands, you know, whatever. In the course of that time, A relationship was established to the point that when we said goodbye at the end of the week, you know, you get a little emotional about that. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I'm trying, first of all, to get you to relate in your mind what we're talking about when we say a personal relationship, an intimate relationship, a fellowship, a communion, where there's a, there's a, a, a camaraderie, there is a, a unity, there, there is a oneness, there is a, um, look, just keep looking straight ahead because I, I'm being silly when I say this, but, you know, not every person you meet you feel that way about. You know what I'm saying? Um, my, my brother in grace, Mark Clyton, he, you know, one of the things that he says to me is he says, you're easy to love. And um, that's one of the things we kind of swap back and forth, you know, I man, you're easy to love, you're easy to love too. Not everybody's easy to love. Let's just be honest about it. Not everybody's easy. We love them anyway, right? But not everybody's easy to love. Amen or oh me about that. But not everybody's easy to love. (laughs) There's some folks, it's like you just meet them and there's that connection. There's that bond. There's that oneness. This is what your heavenly Father desires to have with you. He desires to have a oneness, a closeness, where you are comfortable in His presence, where you are comfortable in the presence of royalty, but you're, in the, you're, in the, you're comfortable in the presence of deity. This is, and I'm not trying to minimize or trivialize the relationship that, that Father has, that He desires to have with us, By comparing it to something earthly or something between two individuals, but if you if you really think about it, praise God—the relationship that you have with people in this room tonight—it's not just an earthly or physical relationship. It was born or or, ordained in heaven. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, God is in that. And the same God that gave you the capacity to have a close relationship with another human being also gave you that that same capacity to have that kind of relationship with Him. It's what He longs for. It's what He desires. And maybe I am preaching to the choir. After all, this is the Sunday night crowd. Amen. You are the faithful of the faithful among us here at Heritage. And and I, I have a special place in my heart for every person that's ever been to this place one time and never come back. But how much more for those of you who are so faithful to be here on nights like tonight. A few weeks back, I, I tried to communicate to you the, you know, opened up my heart and try to give you a glimpse into the challenge that I feel in communicating to you what's in my heart where this subject is concerned to communicate to you what it is that Father desires to have with you, the relationship that He longs for. And sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, and it may be true, and I thank you for loving me anyway, but sometimes I feel like I get up here and I just ramble about it. You know, it's like, Man, you know, I've got all these notes, and, and I'm I'm wanting to get to these notes, and there's points that I'm excited about making, and some strong things that I know that I, I need to say, and I'm not just trying to avoid saying them, but maybe I am, amen. But more than anything, I, I'm I'm wanting you to begin to open up to this idea that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That that there is a relationship, and even if you have a close relationship with the Lord. There is more. There there is a greater intimacy. There is a greater depth that is available to us. When the Lord led us to talk about the man who had two sons, there was a statement that came out of that study. And that statement was that those two sons, they wanted their dad's stuff, but they didn't want him. Man, what they were leaving on the table. There's so many in the body of Christ who only seek God for what God can do for them. They only seek God for what God can give to them. They only seek God for how it is that God may be able to help them, what He may be able to do for their family, what what door He may be able to open for them. And they get so caught up in that that they don't even realize that their whole relationship with God has been framed by what they're trying to get God to do for them. And they miss all along that He's already freely given them all things. He's, he, there is nothing that you could ask Him for tonight that He hasn't already made available to you when He says all things that pertain to life and godliness. What's missing in our lives is Him. Amen. Amen. Somebody finally figured it out. So I'm sitting in the crowd when they put this on their screen, and I want to capture this. I want to capture it for everybody, but I want to capture it for my brother Terry. Um, Because the Lord's, I don't know if he's taking the ones that are in his body out like that, or he's just going to replace them or whatever. But this is what we're believing God for. And um, so when he put that up there and told that story, brother, it, it, it just increased my faith because um, now I'm seeing something that I'm believing God for for another brother. And if you'll notice in that, I'm not going to, you know, as long as there's any way to focus in on the, uh, the actual part Can you see, the? so you've got the long extended part. It's a stainless steel elbow joint. But do you notice the other part that's going down by the palm of his hand? Do you see that? It still has the uh, calcification. In other words, that part should be as smooth and clean as the other part. If, if, if you could see it more clearly, you'll see where that has built up, and I don't know if it's some kind of glue or what it is that actually had that attached up inside um, his bone. And, um, and so there it is, praise God. That was laying in our brother's bed when he woke up the next morning, and um, he had a brand new joint um, in his elbow. And um, amen. You say, Pastor Mark, do you really believe all that? I am all that. I am all that I am all that you say well Pastor Mark where where does the Bible say that well the Bible says that with God all things are possible and nothing's impossible to him who believes but Jesus said that we would do greater works than he did because he went to his father so nowhere I believe Jesus gave people new joints but but of course nobody was putting artificial joints in people in Jesus's day for him to supernaturally remove them from their bodies now, there's another tie-in here. There's another tie-in here. I want to know the one that can do that. I want to know the one. See, we talk about, there's a saying that we have around our house when there's a, uh, when there's, uh, a lot of people that are drawn to something. Like if you go to a restaurant and it's really crowded, my kids will tell you, and I've even heard them say it now. Yeah, so, so it's kind of blown up a little better now. I don't know if, can you see the, do you see how that part comes down and how it's, it's um. the, the stainless steel's actually still got the uh, encasement or what have you on it. Can you see it better like it is right there? Amen. We, the saying at our house is, Um, It was like they were giving away gold bricks at Cracker Barrel. Meaning there's so many people there, you can't even get in the door. It was like they were giving away gold bricks. And so I don't know where that came from, but that's just something we started saying when the kids were little. And now sometimes I even hear the kids say, Dad, it was like they were giving away gold bricks. Some of you may have heard the Sam's Club in Irondale closed down. It was like they were giving away two gold bricks. It was 25% off everything in the store. We drove out there early on a Saturday morning. And there were people lined up all the way down the road, if you're familiar with that, down the hill, almost at the McDonald's in 20-degree weather, waiting for somebody to come out of that store so they could go in. The fire marshal wouldn't let any more folks in the building. Amen. Why? Because people perceived there was some benefit for them inside that store. People perceived that there was something in there that was going to be of an advantage for them, some kind of financial advantage, some kind of bargain, some kind of deal, some kind of one-up on, uh, you know, the system. I don't know, I'm just being silly here, but the idea is that they would wait in that kind of line. Listen, we're talking about January now. We're talking about after Christmas. We're talking about after the biggest shopping season that our country has seen in many, many years, right? So it's not like these folks hadn't gotten anything recently, That's what I'm saying. They were there because of of a perceived benefit. The thought that there might be something left in there that they want for 25% less than what it was three days ago or at the Sam's Club across town brought those folks there. I let Pam and Bethany out, and I went and parked across the street. There was nowhere to park. And I read my Bible and and I studied and whatever, you know, for three or four hours until they came out. (laughs) Two hours? Are you just shooting me victory? Yeah, it was victory, baby. Peace. Peace. Victory. Not complaining at all. The point I'm trying to make is that's the kind of effort folks will go through if they perceive that there's some kind of advantage. Are you just what I'm saying here? There is no greater advantage in life than knowing Him. There is, there is no work or, or in other words there's nothing in your life that needs to be fixed that knowing Him won't fix. So many times we, and I've been guilty of it, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying it's wrong, but remember the message we preached several weeks back that don't just settle for things in your life being better. Are you understand what I'm saying? That, I think, is, is, is the mistake that a lot of folks make. Now, I'm already out of time, and I haven't even read a single verse yet. Let, let, me, let me put this verse on the screen, and amen. I don't know, is it, is it hard to get rid of now that we've finally got it? <laughs> Amen. There we go. All right. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I, count, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Now, we spent the time this morning, I'm not going to go back through it all since we're kind of late in the evening, but we said this morning that there's the legal side of knowing Him and the vital side of knowing Him. If you've been born again, let me tell you how close you and God are, okay? When you were born again, He took your old spirit and buried it and put a new spirit in you, and then His spirit and your new spirit became one spirit. To the point that there is no way to distinguish where you begin and where he begins. Because it would be like taking one cup of water and another cup of water and pouring them into one cup. There's the new spirit that he gave you came from him. And of course, he is his Holy Spirit, is God. And you became one spirit at that point. So, to talk about being close with God, you are so close with Him that you have become one with Him. That's the legal side. That's the part that the blood of Jesus has facilitated, produced in your life. Then comes the vital side. Walking that oneness out. Walking that that unity out. The same is true of any marriage in the room. When a husband and a wife come before God and witnesses and enter into a marriage covenant, it's not some figurative thing. It is a literal thing. The Bible says that the two become one. God makes that man and woman one spirit. Now, there are a whole lot of folks on this earth that have become one spirit, but legally but vitally the relationship is not doing so well. Here's what I'm saying here. Legally they're one. Vitally they are not even be sleeping in the same bedroom. Legally they're one. Vitally they may not even speak to each other. Are you following what I'm saying here? Now, they're just as married legally as any happily married couple in this room. But the vital side of that legal covenant relationship is lacking. Let's just say it that way. Are you following what I'm saying? So, if you can understand it in that way, then in the same way, there are people who have, who have been married to Christ. You have become one with Him legally. What Paul is talking about here is the adjustments that he has made to his own life, to his own um, uh, priorities, to his to, to the things that he pursues and focuses, things that he has now counted as loss that he once counted as gain in order to experience vitally the oneness that he already has legally with God through the new birth. Are you following what I'm saying here? Now we'll get to this next week, right? But let me just want to plant this seed here because when Paul says the things that he that were once gained to Him. He's not talking about things that we would consider to be sinful. You understand? He's talking about good things. He's talking about His religious devotion. He's talking about the things that He studied to better Himself. He's talking about his commitment to God as he understood it before he was met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. So, the things that he's talking about here, counting as loss that he once counted as gain, are not necessarily sinful habits of his flesh. That's kind of a given. In other words, if we're going to vitally walk in a close relationship with God, we need to recognize that there are certain things that He doesn't enjoy us doing in His presence. There are certain things that He doesn't like hearing you and me say in the same way that there are things that your wife doesn't want you to do, certain things that you don't want to hear your husband say. Are you, are you, following, are you, are you, are you following me tonight? But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about these sins of the flesh. He's not talking about um, because he would have never called those things gain. He would have never considered gossip gain. He would have never considered covetousness gain, greed gain, lying gain. He would never considered those. In other words, he would have never put those things in the category of something that he once held in high regard. Are you find what I'm saying here? If you can understand this, you can understand where he's going with this. He's he's not saying, you know, listen, I've I've quit the carousing, I've quit the womanizing, I've, I've quit the lying, I've quit the drunkenness, you know, because I counted all those things as gain, but I don't count them as... No, no, that's not what he's talking about here. He is talking about all the things that he once committed himself to, all the things that once consumed him, all the things that he once thought he could not live without those were the things that he counted as loss because of something more excellent because of something even more beneficial something even more advantageous something even more fruitful what was that to know him to know him to know him in the power of his resurrection and to know vitally the benefit of his sufferings in our daily lives. Are you following it? Amen. I'm going to go out here and build a wall and we'll backfill it next week, okay? But I want to get this to you. Father has time for you. The question is, do you have time for him? Sometimes we talk about trying to have a relationship with a very important person. We think, well, they don't have time for me. Well, she don't have time to talk to me. Well, he's too busy for me. Let me tell you, let's just go ahead and let's, let's make sure we understand this very clear. He has time for you. Do you have time for him? You are a priority to him. Is he a priority to you? And then this one right here has really really shaken me. He said this to me. He said, you are as close to him as your desires allow you to be. You are as close to him as your desires allow you to be. Stand with me tonight. Make, mo- make no mistake about it, my friend. He wants you. All right? Other people may not, but he does. Right? You hear what I'm saying? Amen. Thank God you're in a place where people, uh, we want you here tonight. There's not a person in this room that is not wanted by every other person in this room tonight, even if you don't know most or some of the people in here. There's not a person in this room tonight that's not happy that you're here. Come on, somebody say amen to that, right? Amen. Is that true? Is that true? See, I don't even know who that dude is over there, but I'm so glad he's here. I haven't even met that sister yet, but I am so glad she's here. Right? You have no idea how happy I am that you're here tonight. Amen. You chose the better thing. I've said this a few times. If I said it this morning, it's okay, I'll say it again. Micah Andrews, the executive, the leader at the Foundry, CEO at the Foundry. Man, this quote has burned its way into my heart. This is what he said. He said, 2018... Can be the best year of your life if you focus on the right things. It's so true. It's so true. It can be the best year of your life if you focus on the right things. What are we focusing on this year? We're focusing on him this year. If some of you are paying very close attention... I felt in my heart that all of this was coming last year, but the Lord, every time I would try to go, faith, hope, and love, every time I would try to go, that foundation, every time, instead, He kept bringing us back to humility, 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 right? Got to learn the lesson of humility, it's the master key. Focusing on Him, to know Him and to make Him known. He has time for you. He has time for you. Amen. Father, thank you this evening for these beautiful men and women. Thank you, Father, for the heart that each one of them has for you, Father. Lord, you asked a question. Jesus, you asked a question. You said, when you return, would you find faith on the earth? Father, I thank you that you're not just going to find faith here among us. If you were to come right now, you wouldn't just find faith. You would find people who love you and who welcome you and who want you and who long for you and who pursue you, Father. Not just because you returned and now you're standing in front of us, Father, but we pursue you and long for you and want you and love you now, even though we can't visibly see you. Our hearts are for you. Show us, Lord, what we have been counting as gain that we need to start to count as loss. The Things that would hold us back. We sang it in in the song tonight, Father, one of those new songs. We said that that nothing can hold your love back from us. And, Lord, we believe that. What we need to ask ourselves is what is it in our lives that's holding our love back from you? Father, I thank you for this new year. But even more than that, Father, I thank you for this new life that you're teaching us about, this new life that you've given us, Lord. And the resolutions that we're making, they're not based upon a new year. They're based upon this new life, new life resolutions, Father. Help us to resolve what Paul resolved. That is to know you to know the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. Father, thank you for a great week ahead. Help us to recognize the divine appointments that you have for us. Father, we thank you in advance for those who will receive healing in their bodies in this house on Tuesday night. We thank you in advance, Father, that even his word is, is making its way into different parts of this county and different parts of, of this area, Lord, through Facebook and word of mouth and other folks, Lord, who are excited about the next healing service. Lord, I thank you, Father, that, that the word is getting to the people that need to hear it, Father, and that they have a divine appointment with you in this place on Tuesday night, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the things that you have prepared for us this week. May we be sensitive to you. May we be aware of your presence in our lives. And may we, Father, long to walk closely with you, closer than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus.